What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico, now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to All The Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back, man. Season two of All The Smoke. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm gonna tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want All The Smoke. Welcome back to another edition of All The Smoke. Jack, what's happening out there? My brother, what's up with ya? I can't call it. How's the weather out there? Is it getting any better out that way? The sun came out, baby. It's nice out here. Absolutely, it's always nice out here. Jack, I wanted to commend you on how you're able to keep your, your, your ensemble together, but still you have nice little fashion fly, either the J's or the hats or the jewelry. <laughs> you, 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 make, you make it look good, bro. You make it look good. Hey, man. Hey, one thing about it, Matt, uh, even though I'm a, I'm a Muslim, that don't mean I can't be fly, so I'm going to be fly with it as always. <laughs> Regardless. Regardless. Well, anyway, man, we got a good, a special guest today. Um, to me, one of the most underrated players in the game uh, since he stepped in the, in the NBA. Um, you know, he, it's been a pleasure to watch him. Got a chance to play with him, against him a little bit at the end of my career. But welcome to the show, mm-hmm. CJ McCollum. CJ, thanks for joining us, bro. I appreciate y'all having me on. I've been watching for some years now, so I'm a appreciate it, guys. Man, now, we you, we thank all fans. We fans of you too, bro. So it's, it's only yeah, right we yeah. get this time. Hell yeah, we're going to get to it. Um, 2020 was pretty much a disaster for all of us, starting with, you know, obviously Kobe going down at uh, the end of January. What was one thing you took from 2020? Positive, negative, what did you take from 2020? I think the, uh, the importance of enjoying your time with loved ones. I think, you know, COVID wasn't ideal. It hasn't been a great situation for us, but it's taught us the, the importance of family. It's taught us the importance of connecting with your loved ones because, Time is short, man. You never know what's going to happen. And I try to take advantage of, like, I, I just had to leave to go to COVID test in the middle of y'all's show. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the world we're living in now. But I still can tap in with my grandma. I still can tap in with people to just kind of check on them and see how they're doing because you never know. So uh, you go down with a foot injury the middle of January. What has the recovery been like? Um, 
How are you? Where are you at with the recovery? And, and do you have a, a somewhat of a timetable on when you expect to return? Yeah, it's been it was tough, man. I was playing the best basketball in my career. We were mm-hmm. playing well, and I was in position to, to do some things I probably haven't done mm-hmm. yet in my career. But it's just a, a unfortunate situation that occurred. I've been hurt before, so understanding the process of rehab and it's more so mentally, physically. We're good at everything. Like we can overcome most things. It's just about mentally staying engaged, taking care of my body, not rushing it uh, with this being my third injury. So it's it's been, the first four weeks was rough, man. In the boot, watching your team play. Um, it's, it's always hard to, to kind of go through that. But once you get that boot off, you kind of hit the ground running and are able to, to do more stuff. So I'm in the transition phase on five weeks in a few days in. Now it'll be six weeks on Saturday. They basically gave me a reevaluated four weeks, reevaluated at six weeks, and then kind of go from there. Um, I feel stronger. I'll probably start doing more on-court stuff these next few days in terms of, like, working out and, and progressing. But uh, I'm going to take my time, man. I, yes. I, I don't want to mess with, with this, with this being my third injury. We're playing well. The young guys are getting a chance to, to show what they have to offer, which is great. And I've been in their shoes before, so um, I'm glad they're taking advantage of it. And I'll probably, you know, see how, see how I feel at the six-week mark and then take it from there. But... It could be a few more weeks. That's impressive that you're being smart like that because us as players, you know, we want to get back out, get back on the court. And I know it's real challenging for you to be sitting on the sideline knowing you almost there, seeing your team go to wall, you know, and you've not been able to do that. We've all been through it. But I know it, it takes a lot to be smart with yourself, you know, and saying hold yourself back because I know you want to get out there as soon as you can. Yeah, man. Whenever I start shooting and, and working out, it's like, all right, I think I'm good. But it's like, no, you got to follow the protocol, follow the timeline, and mm-hmm. understand that uh, you'll be better in the long run once you make sure everything's healed properly. Yeah, right. and I'm sure right. it's tough too. Like you said, you're you're on pace for to accomplish things you haven't accomplished yet in your career, and you go down. But I think, like like I said, to piggyback off of Jack, what's feet are dangerous. I mean, feet, and you know, that ankle and below is something dangerous. You know, you see Grant Hill and some guys having, the, you know, similar injuries that you had that, that, that rushed back and, you know, would, could possibly end their career. So it's good you take your time. And we are sometimes our own worst enemy from a standpoint that we are the competitive nature of us want to get back out there and play. But we know for the betterment of our body, it's, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I'm glad you're taking your time with that. Yeah. And I think you learn from trial and error, man. This is my, this is my third foot fracture. So I didn't, I didn't did everything you can do in terms of the, the rehab process, in terms of when to transition to coming back. So uh, the only difference now is that I got a lot more money in the bank. Uh, <laughs> than, than I did what a cushion. Before. What a cushion. Yeah. Now was it same same foot different uh, same same foot? Yeah, so it's crazy. Like my my senior year in college, I I go back to school for my senior year, and I end up breaking my fifth metatarsal non-contact injury. So they think I had a stress fracture. They didn't know. I get the surgery. Season senior season's over. I get drafted by the Blazers. Last day of training camp, right before the inter squad scrimmage in front of fans. I mean, we in a non-contact practice, like doing hedge, hedges on ball screens and Buddy hedges out and I step on his foot and I break my foot in a non-contact practice, same, same foot. This time I, I, didn't, I didn't have to get surgery. I found a doctor that basically said there's another procedure I can do to where it's, it's, less, it's less invasive. They take some, some blood from your hips, spin it around, inject it in your foot. And then I got some shockwave therapy and I was in a boot for two weeks instead of three months. And then I progressed back in three months. And then this time, same foot, different bone. It's like a more rare fracture middle of the foot because of the trauma of Capella landing on me like 200 and 
50 pounds, whatever he weighs, he just mm-hmm. kind of trapped my trapped my foot, and it just there was a small fracture in the middle, and then I sprained some ligaments. But the bone is actually healed. It's just more so like waiting on the ligaments. I've been there, bro. I was uh, I got drafted, and uh, when I first took my physical, they told me I had stress fractures in both of my feet and my fifth metatarsal, and they both was gonna break. And they both end up breaking, one doing tryouts and one uh, playing in overseas. But my my feet healed completely. But it just sucks, man, because it seemed like you never know when the timing going to be <laughs> when it happened, man. That's what killed me. Yeah, timing is always the worst. Like, uh, you're play, you playing your best basketball or you're trying to get to the league or you're trying to make the team or you trying to solidify yourself. And then that's when, you know, you get that, that setback. But I think from a character building standpoint it it, it helps you Absolutely. appreciate things like i really appreciate the little stuff like walking to the bathroom standing up in the shower you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying like when that's taken away from you mm-hmm. you really start to stop taking things for granted yeah now in be- in between um because i didn't know that was a third injury to the same foot are you in pain with that or you know once it heals it's it's, it's kind of feeling better yeah i mean i i wasn't even in pain when I when I broke it, unless I walked, so that's why it's crazy because it happened in the in the first quarter, and I end up playing ten more minutes. So like I played eight to ten more minutes, and I was like, "Yo, this kind of hurts," you know what I'm saying? At halftime, like we'll look at it like that. That's how I, I was like at halftime, like we'll take a look at it. And then at halftime, I told D, I said, I was like, "Bro, this shit hurt." I said, after this game, I might be I might be down for a little bit, but I was just thinking like two weeks, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A week. I go through the, I go x-ray at halftime, x-ray comes back, no fracture. I get an MRI, MRI comes back, you're good, it's just a sprain. So I'm thinking I'm going to be out for like a sprained foot, like two weeks, 10 days. The next day, doctor calls, one of the other doctors like, yo, I think, I think there's a fracture in his foot. He got to come back and scan again. So that's when I had to go back and scan. After I told my mama, my grandma, my dad, like it's just a sprain, I'm good. Mm. I had to go go back the next day for them to tell me like you got you got a fracture in your foot and I'm like fuck a fracture like how long and they like could be four weeks could be six weeks could be eight weeks I'm like oh that's a that's a big that's a big yeah. window bro like can you give me some more like but you know it's, it is what it is no pain now like I've, I've been progressing on the court ball handling I've been lifting trap bar squat lunges loading the foot to try to get it stronger make sure that uh the, the balance and strength is there on both sides so that there's no compensation. So we've just been measuring um, the, the force I can, I can put out on each foot and, and how I'm walking, how I'm, how I'm loading it when I'm moving around. It's mm, important, man. Damn. Well, we wish you the best with that, man. Get back healthy and definitely take your time. I kind of feel like you guys have been a team that has, has always been hit by injury bug, and it's always the next man up mentality. Uh, with you and Nurk uh, down this year, how important has the contributions of Mello and Trent and Cantor been to your guys' team to kind of keep you guys afloat until, you know, the Calvary comes back? Yeah, that's why we brought Mello in um, last season. We know what to expect from him. Uh, his greatness speaks for itself, his ability to score. Uh, I think his leadership is is an undervalued uh, aspect of his game, him having so much experience, having a presence in the locker room, being able to do stuff uh, pre-COVID where we could go out, you know, have dinner, have those conversations about how the game has shifted. Those things are extremely important. Ennis is one of the best uh, big men in the league, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for his consistency. Like, you know, if he plays 15 to 20 minutes, he's giving you 7 to 15 rebounds every night. He doesn't complain. He's got great footwork in the post. He scores. He's like the ultimate teammate. And G-Trent, I'm really happy for him because 
of his story. You know, Pops played in the league, second round pick, comes out of Duke, has to wait his turn, you know, in a suit every day, even though he's playing well in practices, not getting the chance to play in games. And then he gets a chance and takes advantage of it. T.A. TA has a situation where he doesn't make it to the bubble. We have Rodney Hood tears his Achilles and he plays well last year, which, you know, gives him momentum going into this season. And I go down and he continues to elevate his level of play, which is great timing for him with him being in the contract year. And then also great timing for our team. And I always tell him, I was like, look, man, I know what it's like for somebody to play your position and hate on you. Like, I ain't, I ain't the one, you know what I'm saying? I want you to make mm-hmm. as much money as possible. I want you to be as great as possible because it's going to reflect on like my, like what I did. Like, did I hold you back or did I empower you? Mm-hmm. And I always tell him it's enough out here for everybody. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's enough for everybody to eat. Absolute facts. Facts. You talked about Melo and what he brings to the team and uh, how good a teammate he is. What kind of, give me some advice that he's giving you during the time, during y'all time playing together. Man, I, I think the, the basketball stuff is what it is. You know what I'm saying? The work ethic, the, the getting there early, uh, staying late, the, the importance of taking care of your body, you know, the, I got a chef. I got to do all of that stuff, but it's more so the the time management. He's got a lot of different things that he does in his spare time. He's got the what's in your glass. He's on the, the social change fund. Like he's doing a lot in the community. So just kind of, you know, tapping in, like I'm big on education reform, right? He's big on prison reform. So being able mm-hmm. to kind of better understand some of the things he's trying to accomplish in that realm, being able to speak to what he's doing, you know, and be more what it's like there, like what's going on some of the documentaries that he's doing on untold stories. I think there's just so many different elements that like I'm trying to like absorb from a storytelling standpoint to a knowledge information standpoint that we just talk about everything, man, to, to drinking, drinking wine, to chilling. It's just like great conversations on, you know, how to become a better version of yourself, which is, I think is, is key. Basketball is what it is. Like you can hoop or you can't, you know what to do after, you know, five years, three, three to five years in the league, you kind of figure out, how to succeed mm-hmm. and like right. how how to keep how to keep yourself there, but then it's just more so, what happens next? Like, what do you do when when it's time to transition and mentally, are you ready for for life without basketball? Mm. It's a whole new world. But I, I, yeah. I we spoke to this on the show in the past, but it's just like what what is Melo? Probably thirty four, thirty five. Jack, do we know how old Melo is? Uh, he got to be at least thirty. He got to be thirty six at least. But you got to think, like, we don't – there's not that many. I, I love to hear just, the, you know, the game you've been able to soak up for him because there's not really vets of his age around him where there's probably a handful. Like, when me and Jack first came in the league, that's what the game was. There was so many vets to kind of soak up game and, and do – and, you know, obviously you're in your eighth year, but like I said just to experience is the best teacher. You know what I mean? And the league is so young now that it's rare to get those moments with the vets. And on top of that, you know, a superstar soon, you know, first bout Hall of Famer vet. So I think that that kind of that kind of back and forth is, is missed in the game now. And you're lucky to be able to get something like that. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's priceless. He's got 18 years of being in the league, hitting shots, 26, 25, 20-something thousand points. It's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous what he's been able to experience and see. And then just to be able to to maintain, you know, self-belief, you know, when you go through. I say, I say he was banned from the league for a little bit. You go from being mm-hmm. banished you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To where you know you belong and people turn their back on you. How do you respond to it? Right. To being ready when, you're, when your time comes, uh, we pick him up. And, I mean, first game, I think he had 20. You know what I'm saying? Like, to be able to be out for over <laughs> <laughs> be out for a year, come back, like, nothing happened. Like, it takes a special type of person yeah. to be able to withstand the, the downs. The ups is whatever. Like, but them downs are really breaking. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Good call. Um, thoughts on him? You mentioned, you know, 20,000-plus points. Thoughts on him passing Otzer Robinson, you know, for 12th all time. And I think I was looking at some numbers. He has a chance before he's done to uh, possibly get to the top 10. It's crazy, like, to, to even be saying this. You know, you, you grew up watching and you see the triple-double. Like, when you think of triple-double, you think of Russ and Oscar. But you think of Oscar first because he was the one establishing – you know, how to how to average a triple-double consistently, you know, just about every night. And then to see some of these legends, Dominique, like he passed Dominique. Like, that's crazy. Like, to, mm -hmm. to be a teammate with somebody um, who you watch as a kid kind of growing up, and then you become his teammate, and he's still breaking records and still polished. They still got the same, like, same isms. Like, the moves are all the same, you know, 18 years later. What is unique about your team, um, although you've only been on this team since you've been a pro, but your mental toughness, your mentality, your ability to stay together when you lose stars or, or, or key members of this team? You, like I said, I, I touched on it earlier, but what is that? Is, is there a person? Is there a motto? Is it the organization? What keeps you guys, one, for, um, when sometimes with the situations you guys have been presented, some teams will go on to islands? I think it's a combination of things. You look at our leadership, um, look at – who we have in place. You know, you look at Dane, he's solid. You know what I'm saying? He's always steady. He's the right type of captain. He's not the type of pilot who's gonna go back there and be like, yo, the the plane going down. You know what I'm saying? Like the pilot come back there and start panicking, everybody panic. I think that his even killedness and his work ethic rubs off on the rest of us. And then you look at the top of the organization from our GMs to our presidents to our owners to our coaching staff, they they believe in empowerment, they believe in our culture, they believe in uh, continue to develop guys and we go after certain types of players who myself like underdogs who who got something to prove who had to work for everything they got in life I wasn't a five-star I didn't go to McDonald's all American nothing you know what I'm saying I was taking ice baths and trash cans I had you know two pairs of shoes to hoop in for the season and then they might give you something for the NCAA tournament like that's how we got to this point so now when you get all these resources around you that back you you got 24 hour access to a gym where I used to have to sneak in a gym because we used our, our oxygen for wrestling and then we also took exams in it, you know what I'm saying, at, at my university. So I used to have to move the chairs so I could shoot free throws, I can get to my midi and I can get to like certain spots at the three point line. But now I got a team of suits. Like how can I fail with all of these resources, you know, set up for me to succeed? And I think our appreciation for the game is, is different because we we had to, to outwork everybody to get to this point, and we still outwork people to this day. I love it. You just touched on it a little bit, but explain Dame. I mean, we know what kind of player he is, but as a leader, you know, you said that the, the pilot, the, the, the captain. Explain him and 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 what you've learned and tried to apply to yourself. I think he's unapologetically himself, which is important. Um, he don't fake the funk. If he don't like you, he don't like you. When he go compete, he go compete. And when he go home, he, he take care of his family and do what needs to be done. And I think from a work ethic standpoint, it, it's obvious he works on his, his craft because of how consistent he is, but then because of how he's able to evolve from his passing to his, his court vision, to his understanding of how to manipulate a defense, to his range, to his movements, like everything is, is precise. And it's not like it's random. It's not like he just does random shit. Like he works on... He works on his dips. He works on his sidestep threes. He works on his logo threes. He works on his how to draw fouls. He works on how to how to uh, manipulate a game in the fourth quarter. And then we talk about it, like, all right, what plays do we like down the stretch? What are you seeing? 
And the other important aspect of, of being great is allowing people to hold you accountable. If he fucking up, I'm going to be like, bro, you got to tighten up or come on, turn it up. Like, or no excuses. And when we go down, I look at him and it's like, look, bro, I might be hurt. Nurk might be hurt, but you know what time it is. Like, nobody's going to look at you and say, oh, your, your players are hurt. You know, they're going to look at you and say, uh, can he carry a team by himself? Mm. Whereas for other guys, they might make excuses. And like their roster is this or their roster is that. No one makes excuses for him. And, in, and I think that's also what motivates him because he puts up numbers. We win games. Like you said, we've been here eight years. I've, I've never not played in the playoffs. But no one really talks about that. They just want to compare you, say, are you winning the championship or are you not? And it's like, no, we not. But who but who, who, who actually is winning championships? It's Only three a teams. couple other couple people are, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's crazy. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. 
Thank you to the geniuses of Spoken Audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We love it, though. Like I said, Dame, is, Dame has been solid from day one, and I'm a big fan of you guys as a, as a duo in the backcourt. And looking forward to both of y'all getting back out there on the court. Yeah, we, we, and we love how y'all play off each other. I think that's one thing that I like, how y'all play off each other. But take, take, take me through this uh, scenario right quick. Fourth quarter, both you and him both got thirty. Two, it, it, it's two seconds left. What's what? What's the what's the conversation like in the huddle? Talk to me, CJ. So it, it depends. Sometimes, <laughs> so it it just depends on the moment. Like sometimes it's like coach draws up a play and he's like Dame or CJ go get the ball. So I, uh, that's his way of saying like. Y'all got to figure that shit out. Like, right. <laughs> or, or sometimes he'll, or sometimes he'll be like, like if Dame, if Dame is really killing, like I'd be like, go get the ball. But if you can't get it, I'm coming for it, like that. Yeah. Or if it's yeah. just like a free play, like a couple times, you might be down one, and you need to stop, and then it's a rebound. Like whoever, I, whoever get it, go, bro. Like mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with you taking the game winner. He comfortable with me taking it, miss or yeah. make, like. Right. I know the work. I know the work behind the scenes. So like, I ain't, I ain't tripping. So we usually handle it that way. Like whoever really rolling. Like if we we both got we both average damn near thirty. So we both gonna have close to thirty. So then right. it's just a matter of matchup. Like who's checking you, and then like time and score. Like how much time is left. And let's say he shoots it and he misses it or he or whatever. We go to overtime. Then the next time he gonna be looking at me like he wants it again. But I'll be looking like, all right, it's my turn. That's how we do it. But he's yeah. the type of guy like if I'm hot, he'll be like, he'll be like, Damon CJ, we'll get out the huddle. He'll be like, go get it. Or I'll be like, bro, he, I seen the look in Buddy's eyes. Finish, finish the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like y'all your own biggest, you know, supporters and, and fans, and that's how it's got to be. It's got to be a hell of an option for a coach to have two motherfuckers you know could close games that you really know could close games. Right, and we ain't running from it. Like, some people mm-hmm. run from it. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to miss the shot at the end because I can go handle the press conference. Like, I can go handle, like, what comes with that failure. Mm-hmm. Everybody can't handle that. So I think mm-hmm. we both we both comfortable with the success, and I can get down with failure, too, because I know, and that's a part of building, building you up for the next opportunity. There was opportunity for... Dave Vanderpool to be possibly become the Minnesota head coach last week. He was looked over. They hired someone from Toronto. Dame spoke out. Um, everyone's kind of speaking out. What are your thoughts on that whole entire process? Obviously, I look at it at two sides. Obviously, there's an issue. But then at the same time, I look at it as how are you going to tell a billion-dollar owner who they can and can't hire? Um, but I'll let you explain your side, and then we'll pick back yeah. up after that. I think it's a double-edged sword because I – I'm not mad at the decision they made. I'm mad at how they made it. Everybody, you have a, they could have hired a guy who's pink. I don't really care about the race in this particular situation. It's about the process that occurred. You have a coach who's who's there, a young coach, uh, Saunders. He gets fired. He's 32, 34 years old. You have associate head coach in waiting. And typically, you know, when you fire someone, the associate head coach assumes the head coaching position. And then eventually you open up the role, you open up the search, right? The fact that they fired a guy midseason, 10 to 14 days before All-Star break was an interesting decision. But once again, the ownership group, the team, the organization has a right to do whatever they want. I have no problem with that. I have a problem with how they how they disrespected the person in position to potentially take over in the interim. 
you don't have to hire him full time, but to not let him coach one game, Crazy. to fly another coach in same day, season, right? Yeah, they, the, this is the finesse. The finesse was was written on the wall because <laughs> they played they played in Tampa against the the Raptors, you know, a away home game. So they played away. So they probably interviewed Buddy behind the scenes there. Then they traveled back to Minnesota and played the, the Raptors again. And then the next day, they fired a coach and hired Buddy from from the Raptors. And I think people got confused with our anger. My anger isn't at the guy that got hired. Congratulations, kudos to you. Like, whatever. It is what it is. I just feel like the disrespect that's that's pointed towards the Black process. specifically right. is, is outrageous. Um, would they have done that to a white man? Who knows, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe they would have. Maybe they wouldn't. I haven't seen it. I just have a problem with the process of not allowing the guy who's who's been working his tail off, who's shown that he's capable of doing things, not get a chance to coach a, to coach a couple games. Like, I'm going to hire my boy, too. Like, I'm going to keep it 100. Like, I get in a position to, to be a GM, I'm hiring who I want to hire. But if there's a person in waiting who has a chance to kind of show what they have to offer to the rest of the world, I'm going to give them a chance. A couple out of games. Out of respect. Out of respect. Out maybe, respect. You, maybe you let them coach to the all-star break and you just let them know, like, hey, I got a guy in position that I'm going to hire. But out of respect to you, I'm going to let you coach to the break. Then but this guy's coming in to take over. But they didn't do that. They didn't communicate to their franchise. Carl Anthony Towns had no idea what was happening. I think it's just malpractice how they handled the situation. It's disrespectful to to the organization. It's disrespectful to the, the man in waiting who's worked his tail off and it's, it's deserving of it. And then the manipulation that, that probably went on to where you got a guy who's very, very good at player development. I've been with him for a long time. Dane's been with him for a long time. Knows his X's and O's, understands how to get the best out of players, but probably wasn't trying to step on the head coach's toes and kind of play the role thinking that like all right I just play my role I don't want to I don't want to get in anybody's way only to get passed up anyway it's just a it's just a disrespectful situation in which uh, it, it makes me dislike you know some of the processes that go behind basketball because when it comes to blacks and African Americans we don't get the benefit of the doubt ever in anything what's frustrated too is is like with everything that's going on like one thing you can't never tell the owner who to hire but with everything that's going on when you have so many black players, when you have a chance to, to put your fingerprint on equality, why not take that chance? And then, then again, we as players, we've seen. We've seen guys come straight from the film room to head coaching jobs. Crazy. We've seen this in the NBA many of times. You know what I mean? And, and, and people want to make it about everything. It's not. No, it's about none of that. But it's, it's about what's right is right. What's going on today, everybody talking about equality. You being an owner of a team, knowing that you can you can have a, a footprint in equality, why not go that way? And not only that, he is qualified. He is yeah, qualified. Yeah, you're not doing like him a, a favor. It's not a charity case. It's not a charity case. Right. Right. You're not doing him a favor, man. And, and, and I think that's what frustrates everybody when you know it's the right thing to do. Why not do the right thing? Right. And, and I'll say it again. I'm not even saying they had to hire DV. I'm saying give him a chance. I'm saying that, though. I'm saying that, though. Because nine out of ten times, if it's a white coach sitting there and he is the assistant head coach, he's getting a shot to at least coach one game or two. And that's just the facts, bro. Like I said, I've been on teams where I've seen a guy in the film room, and two days later he on the bench. 
Like, I've seen this happen with my own eyes, so you can't tell me that DV does not deserve to be in that spot. But it's bullshit, and I'll say it. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. It's bullshit. They finessed him. They got over on him. And they've been doing this for years. Right. And I think that I think that the, how they did this one is what really triggered a lot of people because he, he's beyond qualified to take over full-time, to re- renegotiate a deal. But the fact that they didn't even open up the search, didn't open it up at all, didn't give... You didn't give people that exist there a chance, people that have put their time in a chance. You didn't give other applicants who may have qualified for the position a chance. You gave nobody a chance. You already handpicked it. It's just, it's, it's you, foul. You didn't even talk it's to your key foul. players. You didn't match your key players. It's foul. Cold it's game. Foul. But like you said, this has been happening. It's just the fact that it, it, was, it was so foul that it had to be discussed. Um, take us back to your upbringing. Uh, Canton, Ohio, obviously where the Pro Football Hall of Fame is. Um, tell me about, you know, your childhood and, and when you first got into sports. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, like you said before. Um, my, my parents uh, were divorced at three years old, lived with my mom full time. Dad was down the street. Uh, he was he was very involved. Uh, but I think the the thing that really helped me is that there's not a lot to do in Canton uh, in general. You, you play football, <laughs> you, you, you play basketball. If you're nice, you play baseball. And, and the, there's people in the streets, and there's people that play sports, and there's the steel mill. You basically pick a career field, and you can dedicate yourself to it because ain't nothing else to do. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I lived in an area that, that wasn't the, the best. I always say I grew up down the street from the hood. So, like... I could see what was happening, and if I wanted to be a part of it, I could be a part of it. But I had enough space. <laughs> I had enough space where I was at to kind of like lay low and, and, and stay out the way. And my brother was was huge in, in influencing me and making sure I was doing the right thing. So I was the type of kid that could have easily went left. Uh, he made sure I stayed right in terms of preparation, work ethic, helped me with my homework. My mom preached the importance of grades and. At an early age, uh, her and my dad basically told us, like, we can't afford to, to pay for y'all's school. So either you get really good grades or you get really nice in sports. Those are your two choices. So I got decent grades, and then I tried to get as nice as possible in, in basketball. <laughs> and I started off, I was very good early, but I was very small. And I think my, my story is pretty well known. My freshman year of high school, I was 5'2", 108 pounds. Mm-hmm. And... I was still, I was nice. I, I played three quarters JV and, and two quarters varsity. And I was like 20 points in three quarters. And then I, I basically backed up my brother um, when he was a senior. So I didn't play much. My sophomore year, I was supposed to start. And they ended up starting this this kid whose dad was on the, the booster club. I went to a school that was um, majority white. And I ended up only averaging six points a game. And at that moment, I had to make a decision. I was about 5'7", 120 pounds, and I had to make a decision. It was like, all right, do you commit yourself to academics or do you commit yourself to hoop? Because you got two years left to get a scholarship. Mom already said she can't pay for it. And I almost quit because it was so frustrating that I had to work. You know, at the same goes, you had to work twice as hard as the man in front of you because of circumstances and situation as to who they were. And, and you're not getting your fair shake. So I worked hard, I dedicated myself to the game, and I went from averaging six points a game to 20. And I broke the school record in my first career start. Uh, I scored 54 points and hit eight threes in my, my first career start my junior year. And Lehigh sent me a letter the next day. And I had never heard of Lehigh, but I was just happy, like a Division One school, like thought I was nice. So I, get, I went through that recruiting process, ended up committing and going to Lehigh. But the moral of the story is, you know, I almost I almost gave this game up because someone took away my joy. So, like, what I tell kids mm. all the time is 
don't let nobody steal your joy. Uh, people are going to yeah. tell you, you you can't do it. They're going to tell you it's impossible. They're going to give you the statistics. As soon as I committed to Lehigh, everybody talked about how that was the wrong decision. No one's ever gone pro from there before. Why is he going there? Why didn't he stay local? Why didn't he go to the MAC? And I said, look, it was already written for me to do this. Um, I'm going to Bethlehem. I believe in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I work on my game every day. And I said, somebody got to go pro. Like, somebody got to go pro from here, so it's going to be me. And that was just my approach. And it's it's crazy how, like, people that you trust, people that you look up to, teachers, staff, they don't see your dream. They don't believe in your dream. You have to you have to really speak it into existence, then go work for unapologetic and unbothered by the, the crowds. Because if I would have listened to the feedback I got from my peers, my own AAU coach to this day, he said that I was a Division II player at best, but he didn't tell me. He told my mama. My mama didn't tell me until I got my first scholarship offer. She was like, I ain't want to discourage you. I felt like it would destroy you. I said, no, I, I would have got a scholarship offer earlier if I would have known this, this man. This man. <laughs> I don't know. He was talking bad, bad on me like that. But, like, that's the, the kind of, like, mentality I had forever. Like, I always thought I was going to be nice. I always thought I was a $100 million player, even before I was, like, because I worked and then I just believed, and I think that's a, that's my upbringing. It's the, it's the story of a kid who, who was who was put in a position, and and took advantage of it better than most would. Who else was recruiting you? So it's crazy because I wanted to go to Akron University because my cousin played football there, and um, I took the visit. Shaka Smart, who's at Texas now, he trained me when I was a kid, and he used to be at Akron. So they knew they knew I wanted to go there. They had no scholarships left. They gave the only scholarship uh, they had to Zeke Marshall. He was a seven foot center. He was top fifty blue chip, and they basically said you have to prop prop forty eight, whatever. You have to register a year, pay your way, and then you can you can you can play after that. And I said, if I sit out a year, I won't make it. I said I don't love school enough to be able to go and not hoop. And they didn't offer me. Kent State ended up offering me. Bowling Green ended up offering me. Boise State recruited me for a while. Michigan and Notre Dame were like my my other schools that I really wanted to go to. And neither one of those schools offered. Penn State didn't offer. So I basically had a bunch of mid-majors, University of Furman. But as I waited, the scholarships disappeared. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. we got a scholarship for you. If you can commit now. three days, three right. days later, <laughs> you see somebody at your position commit and you like, damn, like, I thought I had 10 scholarships. Now I got four. <laughs> like it started dwindling and I was like, you know what, man, I'm, I'm chasing something that don't exist. Like you got to love what's in front of you. You got to love what loves you. And I think a lot of times we, we think something else is better than what you have. You think something else is like what you need to be fulfilled. And it might always, it might be right in front of you. My mom and dad told me, don't miss the boat waiting on another train. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. don't miss, don't miss what's in front of you trying to catch something that don't exist. Be their first option. You're their first option. Don't go be somebody's second or third. And going to Lehigh is the best decision I ever made in my life. I met my wife. Uh, I was able to to learn, grow, and develop as a man. And I got a degree. Like I'm a kid that grew up down the street from the hood that's polished, that can speak well, that's still mm -hmm. nice and hoop, and I can fight. So it's like the, the, hey, <laughs> the, the, perfect, the perfect combination. <laughs> <laughs> right. Perfect. What was it like? I mean, you touched on it, but what was it like? What was your college experience like just as far as, you know, being a real student athlete and then being a superstar on a smaller team? What was that experience like? It was like a movie, man. Like, 
it's, it was literally it's literally like a movie. Like I would do my whole college career over again. It was a, it was a great time, but it taught me how to balance life. Like the the academic course load was crazy at Lehigh. Like the the, the amount of studying you had to do to survive was unbelievable. Like it it taught you how to balance your time. It taught you how to do the impossible, you know, write 20, I was a journalism major, 30 page papers. I started off in the business school, learning about accounting and econ. Like it was crazy the amount of dedication and focus you had to put into it. It was also crazy that I was, I didn't spend a lot of time in the library early. I ain't gonna lie, I spent my time in the gym and I dug myself in a hole and then I had to like start going to the library, start trying to catch up, start trying to get ahead and figuring, figuring stuff out. But in terms of, Hooping, I used to I used to go out, like let's say I went out with some of my friends or whatever, we go out till 12, 31. I would come back and I'd go to the gym at 1 a.m. and I would work out and I feel like I was still able to do the college student life, but also working towards becoming a professional. And I think that's what kind of separated me because I could balance the the life that comes with being a college athlete with basketball, with academics, and then eventually figuring out, you know, the the the, the social aspect of you know who's going like who 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 you going to spend the rest of your life with? Well, I think it was a, it was a perfect combination of, of things that, that kind of fell into place for me, and I struggled early, which is why I probably succeeded late because I had always struggled in life, and I was just like, all right, what do I have to do to to kind of succeed? And I'll do it. So your junior year, um, the 15th seed against the number two Duke seed, take us back to that game and talk to us about it. You, you scored a game high 30. So when we when we drew Duke in the uh, Selection Sunday show, I was geeked. I was I was super hyped because, for one, I hate Duke. Um, I hate everything about him. And for two, <laughs> <laughs> just a full disclosure, I was a North Carolina fan, but I I hate everything about him. And I felt like I felt like that was my chance to kind of solidify who I thought I was. Like I always thought I was the man but the rest of the world hadn't seen me yet. People that, that watched the mid-major basketball teams and mid-major programs, they knew I had NBA quality talent, but they weren't sure if it translated and they weren't sure if I could sustain a high-level play against high-level athletes. And I was like, this is my perfect chance. I'm playing against Duke. They got Austin Rivers. They got Mason Plumley. They got Miles Plumley. They got three other NBA. They had Quinn Cook. They had like six, seven NBA players. And I was like, I was like, this is my chance to show who I am and to show I can elevate my team. Like I'm playing with, I always joke. I said that my friends, my friends work on Wall Street, and I'm playing with like guys that that uh, work for Fortune 500 companies against NBA players. Like the guys I play with are the, are the accountants for the for the Duke players in in three years from now. So mm, if, if I can up uplift them and play against them, this will solidify who I am. So I actually told my mom that uh, we're gonna beat Duke. And beat and beat whoever playing the second round. I said we'll probably lose to Baylor because Baylor got Pierre Jackson. They had all this Quincy Quincy Miller. They had all these like super super athletes. And I was like, I don't know, like we ain't, we ain't really athletic around here at, at at a Patriot League school. So I went out there and in warmups they was talking crazy. Like you know how you go to half court and they just talking out of pocket, like just saying ridiculous, reckless stuff, trying to like punk us in warmups. And I'm like, man, like I'm like y'all. <laughs> y'all ain't even built like that. Like, 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 first of all, Duke players don't even really be nice like that when they get to the league. Ain't honest. no gangsters but, going to Duke. <laughs> yeah, right? So they were talking crazy at warm-ups, but then, like, once the game started, like, I let them know I was here. I'm talking to the bench. I'm talking to Coach K after shots. Like, I'm letting them know I'm here. Like, I don't know who y'all, what y'all been doing in the ACC. 
but ain't none of these ain't none of these like me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we ended up going to win. I think that was like the signature game for me to kind of solidify that like I can play in the league, I can hold my own, I can be a league guard, I can play off the ball, like I can give you whatever you want. So after doing what you did to Duke, how did that kind of catapult you into the national eye and, and start kind of getting the respect you always felt you deserved? I think it put me in that like mid-major stardom role to where you know you had the Steph Currys, you had the Jimmy Fredettes, um, you had the George Hill situation, you had uh, a lot of Eric Maynor, a lot of players who were in similar situations, you know, where they are able to beat a uh, a higher ranked team, a higher seed in the NCAA tournament. You had the Steve Nash situation where he was a 15, beating a two seed. It kind of put me in that same light to where it was like, you know, he has NBA potential. X, Y, Z, these types of players have done this, this. These are what his numbers are like compared to them. And then it kind of set me up to where I was a, the next season, I'm a preseason All-American. I had, I entered the draft that, that year and, and had basically heard that I would be a late first round pick and I had to decide if I wanted to leave or go back to school and I was like I'm going back like I always wanted to be the man this is my chance to be the man go to a small school I wanted to you know some people don't want too much film on them I was like they can get as much film as they want on me like I, I believe in my game I, I know that I can get back to where I was at and, and take my team even further and I firmly believe if I didn't fracture my foot like we was going to like the elite eight like we had a bunch of seniors we were a good team we were about to be ranked in the country um, we, we we had a pretty good schedule. We was playing VCU. We were playing uh, high major teams. Well, the high major teams that would play us, most of them was afraid. I also, the, the backstory, funny part is, uh, so as I, I went to a you know small school like Lehigh, and I wanted to play every school that didn't offer me. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to play Penn State. I wanted to play Ohio State. I wanted to play the Dukes in North Carolinas. But every school in Ohio that didn't recruit me, I really wanted to play them. And then I got cut from the USA team. Matt Painter was the head coach who was, was at was at Purdue. Uh, Beheim was on the staff and two other coaches. So I went, went back home and I told our coaching staff, I want to play Purdue. I want to play Syracuse. I want to play all those schools. And they said that we'll play you when CJ leaves. So that's that's kind of how it went after that Duke game. That's I was dope. I was just locked in and like determined to get to the next level. And I got to go to CP3. I got to go to Bronze Skills Academy. I got to go to all those things and really expose myself to like what it's like to play at the next level. Mm, mm, the giant killer. So 2013 draft, you picked number 10 overall. Oluwadipo uh, goes number two, Giannis goes 15, um, Anthony Bennett goes one. What is it like going from your, you know, small college experience to the bright lights of New York City draft night? That was crazy, like just to be in New York and like to have my family there, have my friends there, uh, everybody came out and just to, to be in that situation like, I never knew that you got that much free stuff when you had money. Like, it's crazy. Like, every, <laughs> you get more. It's crazy, right? You would think yeah. you get more free shit when you have money to spend on it. They was just giving everything away. And I was like, man, I, I sure could have used this stuff, you know, growing up and when I was in college. But, like, headphones, they just giving away watches, with whatever, suits. And it was just, like, I was just thankful I was able to spend that, spend that time with my family and being able to experience, you know, sitting in the green room. Um, the behind-the-scenes stuff, the... The interviews, the, the storytelling, you know, sitting down with, with Jalen Rose and and, uh, and some of those guys just getting ready for Bill Simmons, getting ready for like what it's like to, to play in the NBA. And I still remember like some of the things that I was saying, like rings true today. Like 
like I know I'm going to be ready. I know I'm going to work hard and I'm not really worried about, you know, going to a small school. I'm not really worried about, you know, the transition from, you know, a, a school with 5,000 people to a big NBA city. I said, look, man, I'm built for this and I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to, to compete against the best. And I think that's been the most fun part is that you get to hoop for a living. Like you literally get paid to go hoop and you would do it for free and they're going to pay you for it. Did you have any idea where you were going? Um, during you know, your lottery pick, but do you have a, any inclination of where you're going? The, the the Sacramento Kings promised me at seven. They they said that they were going to draft me um, if I was available. And then Ben McLemore fell, and they ended up drafting him. So I thought I was going to Sacramento. Detroit, I had a good workout for Detroit. And at the time, they had Joe Dumars, who went to a small school. So we had that, like, small school reputation. I thought they were going to draft me. They took Contavious Caldwell Pope. I had a good workout for Minnesota, and I thought they were going to draft me, and they didn't. But I, like, when I worked out for Portland, I had started talking to Dane. We started talking and stuff, and he was like, yo, you're going to be a lottery pick, whatever, whatever. And he was basically like, if you're available, like, I think we're going to take you. And then Neil, our GM, I think, Matt, you might you might know Neil. No, shout uh, out Neil. Neil. No, Neil used to train me before. Neil was a uh, was a struggling actor in L.A., and he was a dope trainer. And then he, he ended up getting a position in Portland and, and did what he does. But Neil is my guy, man. Definitely shout out Neil O'Shea. Yeah, Neil, hey, man. Neil good by me for the rest of the life. I think I'm going to name one of my dogs, Neil, after that. Hey, after great, great all, dude. Great dude. <laughs> all the bread he didn't gave me up. We're going to name a dog after him. <laughs> but so Neil was basically like, we're going to um, – draft you if you're available we think that we could pair you with dang whatever whatever so when i didn't go seven eight nine i was like oh shit like i'm about to go to portland like i never been to the, like i'm an east coast like midwest kid i ain't never been to portland like only portland i knew of really was portland maine like growing up like you didn't like <laughs> until <laughs> i start watching <laughs> start watching stoudemire and stuff and he's like oh okay so i'm like oh shit like dame texts me oh shit and then my phone died and then the rest is like <laughs> an hour and a half later, you're going through interviews and stuff. And then it's like me me and AB worked out together. He was the number one pick and, and Oladipo was my man. So we ended up going and like, man, like, you know how it is, after parties for days. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams is my guy. So we all like out just Living. really kicking it. Just I was like, I'm thin. This way they set you up. So you think that forever bottle's going to be free, right? Because on draft <laughs> night, on draft night, everything you know, is. You don't pay for shit. So we out here drinking and every one of we're going to every place you can think of. Don't get back to the hotel till like six. And I don't have a press conference. So like most guys have a press conference the next day, so they gotta fly out. They didn't do my press conference until like a month later, like summer league. So I was cool. I drove home like two days later. I stayed in New York and drove home to Ohio. Dope. But it was it was crazy. Uh like I still remember the party, I still remember where I went, who I seen, like Something I never forget. That's what's Great up. Experience. So was that your first interaction with was that your first interaction with Dame right there when he was discussed that they would possibly uh, be uh, drafting you? No, when I broke my foot my uh, senior year, a mutual friend of ours uh, connected. I think Justine is the one that connected us um, via via text, and he was basically you know a guy who had broke his foot. He was a mid major player. He was he was a rookie at the time, like playing well. And I just wanted to ask him like. How did you recover from this fractured foot? You know what I'm saying? What type of drill should I be doing? What's the process like? And then just like, as a guy who went to a small school and is in the league now, like how, how do I need to train when I return? Like, how do I have success like early? So that's like, those are the questions I'm asking. I'm like, I want to emulate like people that are successful. Like, what do you do? Right. And then I'm gonna go do the same shit because 
that's what that's what works so we started talking like that just on some the developmental stuff like mentally like how should i be thinking and then we just naturally just became friends uh on like just through text and then the, the first time i met him in person was the draft lottery so he represented the portland trailblazers for the lottery me michael carter williams ab and like two other players just went to the draft lottery to watch to see like what what teams gonna have what picks and that's when we met and i was just asking him questions about his mentality uh how does he how does he treat the treat his workouts when he goes five for 20 and how does he treat his workouts when he goes 15 for 20 and, and stuff like that so it was organic and i think that's why we still friends to this day there's no fallouts because we, we weren't forced to be friends we was friends before we became teammates so. and we built and we built from like similar backgrounds where you got to work for what you what you want in this life you take care of your family um, you sharp, you solid, uh, but you also blunt and direct. And I think we got that, that perfect combination. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all. But I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico, now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What was your welcome to the NBA moment? Shit, I had a couple, man. Um, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, Mono Ginobili. Those was the Tony Parker, too. Uh, this is like getting the lane every play, TP. Uh, he called three-fifths wedge. They run wedge over and over again. But those is, I'll give you all three of them. The first time I guarded Jamal Crawford, he hit three threes in a row. It was like bang, bang, bang. I think I fouled him on one of them. And sub, get out. That was, that was it. <laughs> first time I played Lou Williams. I didn't know you couldn't. I didn't know, like. You watch Lou and you think like Lou nice, whatever, whatever, but like I'm just gonna guard him. And you can't touch Lou. And he got a right to left crossover pump fake. He got a right to left crossover like leaning jumper. He hit me with both. First time, 
right to left, fade, bang. Second time, pump fake, I jump, and what? I like, oh man, so <laughs> get him out. Next, <clears throat> next West Coast road trip, gotta play the Spurs next. Welcome to like the land of Manu Ginobili. Manu, he starts talking in his language, looks at Pop, he, he holds up like, uh, in my mind, he called me a loser. He holds this up, and I guess it, it's like angle, like he wanted a screen, like a high angle screen. Mm -hmm. He yep. backs up to half court, he throws the ball, runs at me, Euro. They run the same play seven times in a row. <laughs> he scored on five or six, and I think on the sixth one, he passed somebody <laughs> three, and that's what I was like, damn. I was like, this, you're here now. This, you're here now. This is this is different. I was like, this this is different. Like, I, was, I I'm thinking like, how am I gonna survive in this league? Like, I'm on a team where I can't show like I can't show I'm nice on offense because I'm standing in the corner because we got some real dogs. We got L.A. We got Nico. We got West. We got Dane. And I said, and I can't guard nobody on the other team. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how am I gonna play? <laughs> Yeah. What did you learn about yourself through that experience, though? Like I said, you were thrown in the fire. And then, like you said, you the worst part is not to get no get back. So what, yeah. what, what did you kind of learn about yourself in those moments? I was frustrated, man. I used to go home angry. I used to go home angry, man. And I used to be like, man, I got to figure it out because I'm a lottery pick. I went to a small school. I got hurt right away, so I didn't get to play. And now I'm watching my peers succeed, and that's what hurts. I, and it, not, it didn't hurt because they were succeeding. It hurt because I knew I was capable of doing a lot of similar things. And I was happy for Michael Carter-Williams. I was happy for Oladipo. The guys that got to start right away, I was happy for them because I know them. I know how, much, how hard they work. But I was just thinking, like, man, like I, I wonder what my situation would be like if X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? And that's when I was like, you know what? Just make the best of your situation and stop being – Stop comparing yourself to others. And I think that's when I really realized, I always say comparison is a thief of, thief of joy. Just enjoy your life, enjoy what you have, and make the best of it. And I think that's when I transitioned to, all right, how do I guard better? How do I still impact the game if I'm not going to get touches? How do I get extra reps in practice if I know I'm not playing? And I think that was my mentality of, all right, you just got to figure out how to stick around the league and it's a long season. They got to give you a chance at some point. So just be ready when it comes again. And I think I was ready at the right times. Wesley Matthews tears his Achilles. Aaron Afalo hurts his shoulder. I'm third string shooting guard, third string point guard. The starting shooting guard gets hurt and the backup gets hurt. They had to play me. Had to. And that's when I started like killing. We go to the playoffs and play against Tony Allen and the Memphis Grizzlies. And that's when they're like, okay, like, he, well, he's he's who we thought he was. And then they let Wes walk. He signs with Dallas. And they say, you're going to go from playing 15 minutes a game to 33. And you're going to play. You're going to play 20 of them at, at the two and 12 to 15 at the one. I said, damn, I'm about to, I'm about to back up the one, two? I'm going to have a ball? Hmm. It was like, yeah. I said, oh, I'm about to kill. I'm about to kill. Who gives you that yeah. kind of talk, though? Is it management, the coach? Who's Who gives you that talk? And so Neil sat me down okay. and uh, with Terry, and they were like, uh, "We're gonna let, we're gonna uh, basically like, we can't afford West. West, West ended up signing for seventy-four million. It was like Lamarcus is leaving, so we're gonna start the rebuild. Basically, like it was supposed to be a rebuild. They end up we signed like Afrokaminu, we signed Mo Harkless, we signed some players, Nick Mason, Mason Plumley, and we lost Robin Lopez, Nick Batum, 
Wesley Matthews, LaMarcus Aldridge, Mo Williams, uh, basically Steve Blake. Everybody that played my position was gone. <laughs> gone right? And I was just looking. I was like, this is like a dream come. This is what I asked for. It's like a dream come true. And I remember at draft night, I was sitting with my financial advisor. I'll never forget it. Shout out to my guy, Joe Godwin. And we're sitting there, and Wesley signs with Dallas, like draft day, LaMarcus leaves, like all this stuff is happening. Nick Platoon, um, Lee, he gets released or traded. And we're going over, like, my finances. And I was like, I want to buy a new car. Like, I've been in the league two years. Like, I need a car, whatever, whatever. And he was like, well, based on, like, where we at right now, you average X amount of points per game, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, how much do you think you should spend on the car? And I'm like, I was like, honestly, I always wanted an Aston Martin. So I want to buy an Aston Martin. But I didn't want to buy it until, like, I locked in, like, a long-term deal. And he was like, what do you think your market is? And I was like, he was like, Jeff Teague had just got, like, 32 million or something like that. He was like, Jeff Teague got this. We're looking at, like, player comparisons. And I was like, I was like, I think I'm going to get, like, 80 to 100 million. Mm. And he like. He looking at me like, you just you just averaged six points a game last year. Like you know, like he like keeping it keeping it a buck with me. Like you averaged six points a game last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, yeah, well, they getting rid of the whole team, which means they're gonna have to play me. And if they play me, I'm not looking back. Like I'm gonna really I'm gonna really go to work. And I'll never forget it when I signed for I signed for like a hundred four years, a hundred and six million. And I called him and I said. I'm buying, this, I'm buying this Aston Martin on my 25th birthday. Yeah, <laughs> I told <yeah>. you. <laughs> That's dope. I love that story. That's what's up. So once you're in, in, in a position to get consistent minutes, how long did it take for you and Dame to jail? Well, it's crazy because Dame always used to tell me. Like, I used to be like, bro, like, they don't, they don't like me. Like, they're not playing me. They ain't messing with me. Um, I'm forgetting plays. Like, so, like, sometimes coach throw me in and I'm, I'm forgetting plays. I'm not locked in. I'm not engaged. I was just doing, like, young NBA player shit. Like I wasn't I wasn't acting the way I was supposed to act because I was disappointed in my role. I was disappointed in how I was being used and I didn't approach it the right way. But I, as I kind of grew and matured, it only took me one time for coach to be like, what are the name of the referees? And me to not know, then I was like, damn, he trying to he trying to give you a chance to either succeed or fail and you're failing, like figure it out. And then I started to figure it out. And Dane used to always be like, they drafted you for a reason, bro. It's going to be me and you in the backcourt. We're going to be one of the best duos to ever play. Like, he used to say this stuff when I wasn't playing at all. Mm. Because they they seen how I worked and how I was in practice. And he was like, we're going to be cold, bro. Watch, just watch. And so as soon as they gave me a chance to start, my first my first start as like a like a lead, like the guy in my third year, I scored like 27 in the first, 26 in the first quarter, 28 in the first quarter of my first start my third year. And like that's when they was like, oh, he's for real. Like, <laughs> like we started empowering each other. I pass ahead, he passed ahead. I get on the ball. I play. I, I play off. I initiate the offense. I'm like, you go over here. You go over there. Whatever, whatever. I'm running the second unit, and he comes back in. We platoon. Sometimes like I sub in for him. He sub in for me. Then we play together, and we just kind of figured it out. And now eight years later, we still like besides Stephen Clay. Like how many guys are still together? Like right. So once you in there getting consistent burn what was it night in night out with with, with with your menu i mean you're going up against cp you're going up against james russ steph clay kyrie john wall beal conley you like you name it like every night it was work but what was it like being able to finally be in that position you knew you were capable of being in it was fun man but you just you, you learn the importance of taking care of your body especially when you're younger so back to backs i used to be mad because 
you know, you, you playing against an elite player in general, right? Everybody nice. And then you look at the schedule and they had two days off and you coming in on a back-to-back -back where you landed at 2 or 3 a.m. I'm like, dang, this is, I, w I wish I was fresh for this one. You know what I mean? And you just kind of psych yourself out and go hoop. But to compete against those guys, I mean, even y'all, like I used to have to chase JJ's ass around and get hit by them illegal screens, DeAndre be setting and Blake, all those illegal <laughs> screens. And then you go to another night and you got to guard, you got to guard Clay and Steph, and it's two different animals. So you got a catch-and-shoot monster who just runs around. He's 6'7". He can also post up. You play great defense, doesn't matter. And then you got Steph who bop, 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 shoot it. He's doing all of this stuff and <laughs> pissing you off. <laughs> and, and, then, and then the next night, you got to go guard James on an island. It's just it was just a lot, but it was it was fun for me because it was the challenge. It was like, all right, now you get to really see where you're at and you get to try to guard some of these best players and still try to produce an offense, which is really hard to do. And I just enjoyed the challenge. And then you go guard Brad and Brad got everything. He got the midi, he got the paint finishing, he can shoot threes. It's just like exactly what you envision. It's like this is this is what I always wanted and now I'm out here living it and, and having fun. But then you also get some payback. You get some get back now, though. Exactly. exactly. And, <laughs> and the hunger is, is crazy because you used to show up to the arena knowing you're not going to play. Like you used to take the taxi. This is before Uber. You take the taxi or the, or the, the hotel town car to get to the arena at 315 because that's your workout for the day. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I had OG Earl Watson and we used to play ones, twos. And he used to be like, this has got to be your game. So I'm running the stairs before the game thinking that like, if another team is watching, they gonna see like this kid right. really works. This kid, yeah. this kid comes in by four thirty. I didn't got, I didn't got a good two hours in. I didn't lift it. I didn't shot. I didn't play ones. I'm out there with the cheerleaders. The cheerleaders dancing and warming up, and I'm out there early trying to get it in. Shout out Earl Watson. That was my college point guard. That's my guy. We actually working on a show together right now. But Earl was a, a Earl was a real vet. Yeah, Earl. I played with Earl, Chris Kamen, and D Wright. Shout out to my guy D Wright. Yep. Shout out D Wright. Did Chris came in like taking showers by the time y'all played together? Because that motherfucker didn't want to take no showers early on. <laughs> one of the most. Chris is one of the most interesting, funny human Yo. beings. Blood. Cool, hey, cool I, ass I, dude too. Cool dude. Cool as a fan. Yeah. Cool as a fan. Yeah. We had some. We had some good team. Mo, Mo Williams used to make me sit in his room. And, it's uh, impossible to be cool been, with your hygiene is bad. He <laughs> come get me. No way you can be cool when your hygiene is bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, came it's nothing. It's nothing that. cool about you. It's nothing. Hey, I, I can't be cool with you. It's nothing cool about you. Like, how, how can, no, I don't see that, man. <laughs> I can't speak to the showers. I don't remember the shower part. Like, honestly. But no, I played. No, I played with him. So I played with him uh, in '03, his rookie year, and he had game. But that motherfucker used to be the motherfucker that would play. <laughs> And then put his jeans on and t-shirt. I'm, I'm, I got a shower at my house. Why well, am I shower here? Like motherfucker, you just played 25 minutes. What the fuck you mean? Why are you gonna shower here? Because there's eight hot ass showers and they get your ass in one of them. And that motherfucker used to stay just putting his motherfucking clothes on after a game and go home and shower. Anyway, shitty came in. That's his new name. Hey, shitty came. Hey. Shout I can't out. wait to ask him about that. Yeah, <laughs> hey, shout out Chris Kamen, man. Like I said, hey, outside of that, Jack, cool dude. Though. I fucked her Kamen. So you mentioned uh, early on, uh, CJ, you guys have been in the playoffs every year. And I think uh, I wanted to talk to you about the Warrior dynasty that you guys went up against because you guys had some chances and 
the Warriors were kind of big brothers almost, quote-unquote, to you guys in, in, in the playoffs. Talk to us about what you learned and, and how good those dynasty teams were. I learned a lot, man, just from, from interacting uh, with some of those players, competing against them, um, losing, playing in the playoffs, being up 20 against the Warriors and watching the lead disappear. I think that's, it just that's like you. being up five. Yeah, it's, it teach it, it teaches you how to play elite basketball. Like when you go up against the elite ones, like especially that seven that seventy whatever and whatever season, they were playing some of the best basketball I ever seen. Like the way they they moved the ball, the pace. Obviously, Steph. They had a lot of different pieces. Iggy was playing at that time. They had HB. They had Bogut. Like the way they played was just like a fun brand of basketball to watch. And then you get out there with them and you compete and. and that's when the roar, like the Oracle roar was mm. different. So like, mm. you, you know that like the run is coming at some point, you're just trying to withstand it. You're like, yo, we just got to withstand this run. It's coming at some point. And then bang, 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 four threes in a row. Whoa, you're like, <laughs> fuck, crazy. here they go. So like, yeah, it was, yeah. it was a great experience. And I'll say it all the time, if it wasn't for them, we'd probably get to the, we'd probably get to the finals one of these years. No I mean, bullshit. I definitely, like I said, you guys had a solid, solid team, but you would run into the Warriors. Yeah. And they, that was the buzzsaw that like a lot of people couldn't get over the hump. Brian, uh, bless his heart, you know, being able to, to come back from, mm-hmm. from three, one, that, that man is special, but it was it was a great learning experience, and I think because of that, we're better. The character, the understanding, the appreciation of the game, like we we better because of that. Mm, absolutely. Hey, I'm Jackie, sorry, bro. There, hey, bro. Nah, shit, he came in. It's funny, dog. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. That shit, he came in, dog. <laughs> oh my god, that is funny, dog. That is funny. All right, yeah. here we go. Hey, oh. That shit was hey, oh. that shit was classic, bro. So what was the matchup between backcourts? Because you guys are arguably, at the time, you know, 1A, 1B. You know, you could throw Wall and Bill in there. But I thought you and Dame were right behind those two. What were those matchups like? They were fun, man. They was, it was a lot of fun because we're all, like, competitors. And it's, it's funny because they always say light-skinned guys ain't killers. But them, them light-skinned brothers is killers. You know what I mean? Like, they really, really want to win. The way they play is is crazy. Like they play off of each other. The movement, the screening. One person gets hot. Like the whole team feeds them. Draymond always talking crazy, but I like I like I'm built for that life. So like I enjoy that. That's fun for me. And just the the amount of trash that we talked like to Draymond and to the rest of the staff and the the challenge of having to guard Clay, having to guard Steph, and then wanting them to guard you on the other end, chasing Steph, like telling D, go at him. Kill it. You can't like there's no possessions off to where you might score on me, but I'm coming right back. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not running from it. And and if if I feel like you running, bring him up here in the pick and roll. Go find him. I think right. Luca does it, James does it. Like you go find somebody. Like I want him. Bring him up here. And that's how we talk to each other. Like, go get him. Go get your turn. Go to work. Like that. And I think that's the fun part of of playing in the NBA with people that you get along with and then competing against the best because Steph wants to go guard you. Clay wants to go guard you for the most part. Like they look forward to that challenge, but let's say Clay's on Dame and Steph's on me. I'm trying to go at Steph. And then I'm like, all right, your turn. You go at him because Clay is six, seven, you know what I'm saying? 200 pounds. He can move his feet. He's a big guard. And you want to make Steph as tired as possible in offense because that's like, it was one of your only hopes is to try to wear him out so that he's tired and his shots coming up short. So what did you guys learn from those experiences that bettered you guys um, 
as a team, as individuals um, moving forward in your careers? I think the importance of, of camaraderie, uh, I think that's huge. Being able to go out to dinners, being able to kick it with your teammates, being able to fail. I think losing to the Warriors, getting swept by the Pelicans, I think we responded really well to those types of situations. We get swept and then we end up going to the Western Conference Finals the next season. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how to get through a long-ass season, man. Like, there's going to be great wins and there's going to be some shitty losses to where you're looking around and you're like, damn, like, we just lost by – one year we lost by 45. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. That's almost 50 points. You're losing by in the game, but then you got to go play the next night or two nights right. later, and you got to forget all about that, and your team has to be able to, to compartmentalize, like, what we're trying to accomplish leading up to the playoffs. But having talked to some of the OGs, it's just like the role players are huge. Like, your role players need to be able to play well, be stars in their roles. you got to empower them, and you got to appreciate the little stuff. Like, the big fella that's setting screens and getting you open, you got to appreciate that because they sacrifice it for you to eat. Yeah. Feed them a little yeah. bit. Yeah, a couple dump offs here and there. You mean? Right. So that yeah. that's what's been been helpful for us is figuring out that balance. How we get the best out of everybody, and then how do we still survive? Like it's a, it's a league about surviving. Like when when stuff don't go well, they're looking to, to change things. Mm-hmm. So you got to make sure stuff is going well. Your guys' 2000, uh, 2019 Western Conference uh, final run started off with you guys in the Thunder. And the, the the Westbrook and PG and and, and you and, and Dame, how what was the energy like? Obviously, there's some animosity between uh, that situation, but what was just the energy like? And then Dame is able to close it out and, and fucking wave goodbye to him. What was, was the energy chilling. around that series like? It was it was a lot of anger. I think there was a lot of there's a lot of anger. I remember texting Dame before the game. I remember texting and like it's just like. You don't take things personal, but you look forward to the challenge of solidifying, like, who you are and what you are. And I think the fact that, like, we had that regular season, I think they caught Russ saying that I've been busting your ass for years. Like, I've been busting your ass for years. Like, they caught that on video. And that was, like, a trigger. Like, that trigger. That was a trigger. The fact that it's Russ. Like, Russ is an elite player. Average a triple-double. He's aggressive. He going to rock the baby on you. He going too small. Like, he going to do all of that. And you, like, I enjoy it. Like, that's fun for me. Like, I want to go compete. And then you got PG, who, uh, in one of the games they beat us, he windmilled at the buzzer. And that, like, in my mind, that was a fuck you. Like, that's, like, in my head, he was saying fuck you. So, like, we're all thinking about that as we're playing in the series. And all the reporters picked us to lose. You know what I'm saying? Like, you watch ESPN every day. You're watching this stuff. And they're like, yeah, the players just don't stand a chance. Like, they're talking about PG's an all-star. Russ is an all-star MVP. Like, we can't contend. The Blazers have one all-star. Like, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, like, these niggas must not know who I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, they must not know. Like, I really do this, especially in the playoffs. Like, I really, I show up. Like, and I pride myself on showing up in big games. So, I'm looking, and and we text each other. I said, if we outplay them, if we outplay them, we win the series. That's all I said. Like, win your matchup. And he started the game with a 36 footer. Like that's mm. that's my that was my, that was his. You knew it was on. I, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here. Straight face. I pull up off the tip. The tip ball came. Two dribbles. Bang. Looked at him like I'm here. And that's what I knew. I said, Oh, <laughs> I said, I said oh, I'm clapping. I'm like, We got action Hell tonight. Yeah. Baby. We got action yeah. tonight. And Hell yeah. We we just we really wanted it, and and we went after them. They went after us. It was competitive. It was fun. Um. 
we knew we had him on the ropes. And I remember talking to my brother. That was the year, the, the year before I was able to go out and, and see him in Turkey because he plays in Europe. And I was like, I ain't going to be able to make it next year. And he was like, what you mean? I said, we're going to go far in the playoffs next year. So I ain't going to be able to make it out here to see you. And right after we beat him at their crib and went up 3-1, I, I said it in, in the press conference, I said, yeah, I ain't going to be able to see my brother this season because uh, we're going to be here for a while like that. And then we get to game game five and Dame hits him with a 50-piece McNugget and a walk-off three. And then he waved. That was so killer how he just... Like, oh, I was like, ooh. Mm. I was like, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget it. Mm. That was tough. That that wave was cussed. Cuss words were flying out that wave, boy. That shit was yeah. cold blooded. So you guys take Denver in seven. Um, you're playing great at about 26 a game, six rebounds, three assists. You get to Golden State. Yeah, dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> So what? What? Like I said, you guys had faced them. You guys had faced them before. You'd seen them, but you got. Like I said, you guys. You guys were learning from each experience, building up to this. You step right. into Golden State. Talk to us. Yeah, that was tough, man. And I think the Denver series was a lot. Like yes, seven games have to win on the road. A three or four overtime game. Like it was. It was just a. It took a lot of energy. It took a lot of emotion to get through it, and I think we grew up from it. Um, but when we got into that that Warrior series, it was a different animal. Like the way they played, the the pace, how quick the turnaround was. We go from a, a game seven off day game the next day, like with travel, and we got up. We would get leads, and then we just blow them. And I think it was because of their athleticism, their game planning, their ability to shoot, and our lack of execution down the stretch of games, and some some good moments to where we could have we could have closed the door, and we didn't. And that ended up costing us the series, and that's why we ended up getting. I think we got swept that season, and we were, we led for more minutes than we trailed, and we didn't win a game in the series, mm-hmm. which is crazy. crazy. That shows you, the last the last two minutes, the switch would come on, and they would get just enough stops to run away. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So the following season, uh, last season is the bubble. You guys get hot at the right time, um, capture the eighth seed. You have a fucking legendary interview where you imitate Mike Tyson. Uh, where did it, where did where did that idea? come from and then we'll get back to the basketball park <laughs> oh, that was funny it you know when i when i first when i first spinal told me my back was broke i said my wife the um the the the, the youtube interview of mike where he's like i broke my back spinal i know and, and after the game uh we're talking and dame like he, he goes spinal so then i was like i broke my back so i just did it because he triggered me he, he said it so it was like a trigger and it was it was hilarious. So what were your thoughts on I love it personally, but what were your thoughts on the play in format and how they used it in the bubble and then brought it back this year as well? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing in it. I thought it was fun, it was competitive, it gave the, the fans something to watch and although I would like to not play in it uh again. <laughs> right. I'd like to have a better seat. I think it's great. It's great for the game. I think it's great for the sport and, and people really are enjoying it. What was your playoff experience like without fans? It was different, man. It's like it's like playing a, in a competitive practice, like a like an intense inner squad scrimmage or like against another team. But once you once the, the ball gets rolling, like you just go hoop. But just like the intensity with the with the actual fans, like the energy that you get from the fans. Like imagine if we playing against the Lakers and we beat them in Staples Center game one. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like the they probably get booed like the the shift is crazy, and then you lose game two, but then you go home to Portland for game three, and then mm-hmm. 
that's like you already you split and now you at the crib. You know what I'm saying? Like just like miss like missing that yeah. would have been would have been ideal. Like having that, and I would have liked to play in cities with fans. Like I would have liked to play like that game in Memphis. You know what I'm saying? I play, that would have been cold to beat them on their home crib, like to get to the playoffs. Like, yeah, that's like going yeah. to somebody's refrigerator and drinking their juice. Hey, right, but real exactly. quick, I, I, I like the way you broke that down because I don't think that people don't really understand is that fan. So you go into Staples Center hypothetically in the first round, you take the, the wind out of their sails. So like you said, game two is a battle. But once you get to the parking lot in Portland, like your fans are going to be going insane. As soon as you get up, the gym is going to go crazy. And you guys have a hell of a home court advantage. So to not have any of that type of energy, that shit is big. It's bigger than people realize. Yeah, absolutely. And I think – that's what we miss about the sport. Like, it's hard to play in Portland. Y'all was in the league. Like, our fans is crazy. It's loud. Yeah. They show up early. And yeah, y'all got you good get an advantage from it. And so I, I think still be high be- by game time. He said, I don't even know what to say uh, with that shit. Uh, <laughs> That's, yeah, that's what they say. Look, that's what they say. But, what they uh, welcome to all the smoke, CJ. Welcome to all the smoke, baby. true. <laughs> <laughs> my dad said no. My dad said no. But, uh, yeah, um, oh, our fans is crazy, man. They they come out. We love them. They support us. They wear the T-shirt. I always say they're not too cool to wear the T-shirts. And they empower us. And I think our record is a lot better at the crib. We win a lot more games at the house. and. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to playing in front of them. And I'm also I'm looking forward to playing on the road. Like I like playing on the road and having road fans like seeing the look on their faces. Like when we beat yes. Denver in Game Seven, and like seeing the look on their faces, man, it's just so it's it's one of the the biggest joys is to just see the disbelief and the anger and the confusion of like a road fan after you. Deflating the building is the best feeling, bro. Tell us a little bit about your podcast, uh, the Pull Up. And did your journalism background have a role in that, or what was your uh, want behind getting into the podcast space? Yeah, um, my, my journalism degree definitely played a role in my decision to, to have a podcast. I've always been big on wanting to keep my um, degree alive and being able to, to share stories, tell stories, being able to get players to, to share certain things and just kind of connect with the fans on a different level was, was the main goal. But, yeah, Pull Up Pod will be relaunching at some point in the near future. Just storytelling, keeping people up to date with what's going on around the league, keeping people up to date uh, with with some of my opinions and thoughts on what's happening in the world. I think all those things are important and it's fun. Like I enjoyed hosting a podcast. Yeah. Look at hey Rachel, Facetime me back, CJ. She said we're sharing custody of you real quick. Yeah, we're gonna finish up with him real quick, and then he's right on to you. We're on the last question. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thank you. She said, you're all good. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely forgot because my phone was down the stairs, so I yeah. forgot. Nah. <laughs> hey, 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 we got connections over here. We got you, bro. All right, so here we go. Uh, quick hitters. Um, toughest matchup for you? I don't think we ever played against each other, so you ain't, ain't going to say me. I don't think we ever played against each other. <laughs> I, would say, I would say Brad and, Brad and Steph. Brad and Steph. Two different yeah. games. Really? Two yeah. different games. Yeah. Catch and shoot, ISOs, all of that. Yeah. You, Go ahead, Jack. You, pl- you plus four going to the park to own the court. You plus four. Who you taking with you? Black top, though. Yeah, yeah, going black to the top, black top. Outside, where you might have to Ooh. fight. That's a great point. 
Um, <laughs> she might have to fight. You got to bring James Johnson if you don't fight. There you word. go. Bring one of them. Bring one of them. Word. Word. <laughs> you got to bring James. Uh, I'd probably take I, I'd take Dane. Um, yep. Dane, Katie, Bron. And James Johnson. James Johnson. <laughs> there you go. What you mean? You got, you're good. Hey, you're good. Y'all straight. Dame can box too. He's straight. Yeah. yeah Easy. Exactly. You can fight too. Y'all going to be good. Uh, your top five artists. I'm going to go Hove. Mm-hmm. Don't forget you from the Midwest, bro. What you want to throw Nelly in there or something? <laughs> <laughs> Tupac and Biggie are obviously legendary, but they, they passed early. You know what I'm saying? Like 25. They, mm-hmm. they didn't even get a chance to hit their prime. Yeah. But if you go and body work, you, you, know, you got to include them. That's three. Andre, Andre, three stacks, Ooh, and Drake. I like that. I and mean, I like yes, that. Yes, sir. That's a nice little lineup. But then, like, I like J. Cole. Like, these are all these people that I really love. So uh-huh. it, puts me, it, puts me in, it puts me in a tough spot. But... I say J. Cole, six man. There you go. Can't go wrong. Nice. Yeah, all time starting five. Mike. Yep. Brian. Mm hmm. Kobe. Mm hmm. Shaq. Mm hmm. That's my identical. We're identical so far, what I would say. The four is tough. Like, you could go Bill Russell, you could go KG. You can go KD. You can go Tim Duncan. That's my mm. pick. Yeah. Mm. You can slide. Yeah. You can slide Braun to the four. I mean, shit. You got options. I go. I go Tim Duncan, and then I got. I, I would have KG. KG six man. Uh, KD. KD uh, first guard off the bench. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Nice. nice, nice. nice. Uh, five dinner guests, dead or alive, drinking your drinking your wine. Obama. Jay Z, I'm on a billionaire, so we either go <laughs> Elon Musk or Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I need to tap into that financial knowledge. I would go Mark, Martin Luther King Jr., probably Malcolm X. It'd be an interesting conversation. Mm, that's a hell of a day. Man, right that'll there. be nice. That'll be mm-hmm. nice right there. Who do you want to see on All the Smoke? But, but before you answer this question, your answer, you have to help us with the answer. So who do you think should be on All the Smoke? I got to help with the answer. Yeah. Um, Come on, bro. It's, it, this should be real easy. He ain't oh, been Dan- on the damn. Yeah, Dan- goddamn. Dan- he ain't been on the damn show. We done made videos about this nigga. I done DM'd him. I done talked to him a million times. We waiting on Dame, dog. Yeah. I'm answer no. for you. Hey, cra- you. Hey, crazy enough, he was supposed to be our very first guest, and it just didn't work out. But anyway, man, we know you in a hurry. CJ, thank you for your time, man. Jack, great show. I appreciate y'all having me on. And my, I meant to tell y'all, my, my movement specialist, he's a big, big fan of y'all. Devin, shout out to my guy Devin. He's going to be happy I'm on here. Oh, cool. Shout out, bro. Yeah, tell Dev, shout out, man. Shout out to the homie. Thanks, CJ, CJ, man. Bro. Appreciate, appreciate y'all, bro. Man. Get healthy. You can catch all the smoke on Showtime Basketball in iHeart platform Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. This is All the Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.